nothing phases her. Like, except we were in Buenos Aires staying in an Airbnb and she woke up at three in the morning and there was a cockroach in her hair. And then she said, Steve, you're staying up to fend off the cockroaches. So I'm sitting there with my iPad. There's another cockroach crawling up my arm. There are like five dead cockroaches on the floor by the morning. She wasn't happy. We were out of that place. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 428. This country has the longest coastline of any country in the world. And in fact, if you were to walk around the country without sleeping, eating, or resting, it would take roughly four and a half years. Any guess what country this is? I'll let you know at the end of the show. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry. Joining me today is someone who's a retired ex-diplomat who has 50 years of travel under his belt and who speaks 20 languages, Steve Kaufman from Link.com. Steve, thanks for joining me and a huge welcome. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. And it's, we were just talking about this right before we hit record. It's easy to be blown away by this number, right? Like, you know, 20 languages people are like, whoa, that's insane. But that was not always the case for you. Let, let's back it up a bit and kind of tell us what your language learning journey has been like. Okay. Well, I grew up in Montreal, but in the English speaking part of Montreal, because in those days, you, the two communities were kind of separate, which is not the case today, but it was in those days, more than 50 years ago. And But then I got interested in French. We'd had it in school. I couldn't speak. But I got very interested, interested in the culture. In those days was La Nouvelle Vague, you know, the movies. And so I ended up getting keen on French. I, I hitch. Actually, I, I worked on a boat to get across to Europe. I ended up settling into France where I studied for three years. And that kind of got me into, you know, a situation where I transformed myself into someone fluent in another language, which is a, a, a life-changing experience. So then when I joined the Canadian Diplomatic Service and uh, they wanted someone to learn Chinese, I said, I'm your man. I was confident that I could learn. So then I was sent to Hong Kong to learn Mandarin. And then I, we ended up going to Japan where I lived for nine years. And then once you know you can do something, it's fun to do it. And then I just did it with other languages as well. And, and particularly since the age of 60, like I had nine languages when I retired and now I've learned another, you know, 11 since the age of 60. Wow. So it was just something for you that you, again, you didn't have any special skills as a as an, uh, kid or, or a teenager, right? Didn't, it didn't speak French even at that point. And it just, you kind of caught the bug a little bit. What have you felt as far as you, you said, once you know you can do it you and you like it, you just start doing it. Have you felt that it becomes easier the more that you know, or is there like a bit of a tipping point maybe where it, it becomes harder? It becomes easier, always easier. 
And I, I think I had, it's, it's possible that, that my situation was favorable because I was actually born in Sweden and at the age of five, my family moved to Canada. I quickly forgot Swedish, but that was there in my brain when I was very young. And of course you can, you hear French around Montreal. And, and I think that, that the more flexible your brain is, you know, different sounds, different ways of saying things, those are, those are you know, positive. But I was at this polyglot conference, you know, speakers of many languages, polyglot conference in Montreal, and I was speaking to a group of 600 people. And I said, how many of you grew up in a multilingual family? And hardly anybody put their hand up. So it's not a condition. But anything that makes your brain more flexible, like if you only have one language, your brain is set up to, to deal with one set of sounds, w one set of sort of ways of saying things. And as you find that there are other ways, other sounds, your brain becomes more flexible. And so you're, you resist the new language less and less. So I learned languages at, today at the age of 74 faster than I did when I was 20. Yeah, that's an interesting concept. The, the, the being like a flexible brain. And, and I like the word you were like, it resists it less because it does seem as someone who speaks one language. And now, uh, my sister is, is getting married to a guy who only speaks Spanish, right? I, I only speak English and very rudimentary Spanish. And so I've started down this journey of like, all right, I, now I have a real, real, real reason to learn Spanish, right? And, and a real desire to. And so, but it does, it seems, like a resistance, right? It's so different and so foreign right now for me to to try to learn a language. And so what are some ways that people listening that they're like, oh, that makes sense. That word resistance does make sense. It seems difficult. It seems there's resistance. How can we make our brains more flexible as adults? You just have to, you know, go for it and not worry about it. Uh, one of the things that I do, my sort of approach to language learning is to focus on comprehension. Because you're not going to embarrass yourself if you're just working on comprehension. So I build up my vocabulary. I build up my listening comprehension, my ability to read. So I'm ingesting all this stuff. And that's slowly conditioning my brain to this new language. If you don't have that background and you just try and I want to say something in the language, you're going to say it right or say it wrong. You don't understand what the other person is saying. It's all very uncomfortable. So my strategy is to focus primarily on comprehension for the first three months, six months. And then when I have that as a base, then I start speaking. And when you start speaking, and don't don't ever resist. Like I can remember when I started learning Chinese, there was another Canadian diplomat there. And in Chinese, to say, are you going? The Chinese actually say, you go, not go. That's how they say it. You go, not go. And this guy's reaction was, is that ever stupid? Like, how can you say that about another language? That's just how they say it. Maybe the English way of saying it is stupid. You know, so there is this thing that, and so we're reluctant to abandon our comfortable native language. We're not going to make a mistake. We're happy. And so then it's uncomfortable, like the water is cold. Uh, but you just have to get in there and not worry about it. And, and as I say, focus on comprehension. That, that makes you more comfortable. If you have good comprehension. Interesting. So that's interesting to me because obviously there's a, you know, there's never one right way to do it, but there are different methods that work for different people. And, and I, you know, I just want to throw that out there because I, I am a firm believer in anything you're doing. You could do multiple different ways, but some people are going to resonate with certain ways. So if I'm someone who's more interested in speaking, like not that I don't want to read and write, but for me, it's like, 
you know, I like speaking to people. I want to be able to go somewhere, speak to them, have a conversation. So obviously it's speaking and comprehending, listening. Would you still recommend then like doing essentially practicing on my own? Like I, I'm not getting out and speaking to people, but I am working on comprehension of vocab. And I, and, and you could tell me, what does that even mean then? Am I, am I doing flashcards? What do you, how okay. do you tackle it? So, first of all, there's nothing wrong with speaking right away if you have easy access to people who speak the language. That's not always the case. So, when I was in Japan, I started speaking right away. And when you do that, you're triggering input. You're triggering. They're going to say something. So, you're going to have to try to comprehend it. So, basically, you learn from input. You learn from stuff that comes into your brain because you don't have the language in you. So, you can only produce something that has already previously been brought in right so input is the way you learn but if you want to do it by talking to people but it, it's difficult because there's not much you can say and so and you probably may not or you may not understand what they're saying and for them whoever you're talking to if it's a friend or a teacher then they'll try to kind of limit the conversation to things that they think you can handle but that's going to be very limited so to me the the key activity is listening so if you listen, and so once you listen and you don't understand, which is usually the case, then, uh, and that's what we do at Link, essentially. You have, like, we have these very simple mini stories with a lot of repetition, a lot of high-frequency verbs. You need verbs to talk. Want, go, need, come, take, give. And so, and with a lot of repetition, and I listen to these over and over again, and then I read them. And then if I'm online or on my iPad or my iPhone, I can look up the words and I listen again because first you got to get a toehold in the language. So that's the way I start. I don't do flashcards. Um, but if I have an opportunity to speak, however limited my language is, I'm going to use it. But if I have to arrange to go and visit with a teacher or even to find a teacher online, I'm not going to do a lot of that because it's a lot more effort. And I, I know from experience that, that if I have an online discussion with a tutor at a very early stage, we're going to use the 20 words that I have. Whereas if I listen to a little story with a lot of repetition, I might end up with 300 words. And I may have to listen to it again and again, but I can listen to it again and again because I have it. Whereas that conversation is gone. So I, I just find it more efficient. Like the goal is to speak. And, and wherever, like if I have five words and I come across someone who is of that language group, I'm going to hit them for sure because that's fun. But I have to also invest in getting the language in me. And, yeah. and that's, the, that's the thing. I, I love the way you phrase that, that the way you learn is through input, right? Yeah, naturally, we don't have it inside of us. So unless we've read it, practiced it on yeah, flashcard, iPad, would heard it. We we can't say like I'm not going to make up a Spanish word that I know from nowhere. It's like if I'm saying it, I learned it in ninth grade and it's coming back to me. But it was input at some at some point. And so then for you, how you mentioned it, like with this idea of comprehension, when you are learning a language, what is your what would you say is your ultimate goal? Is it to speak or or do you try to have reading, writing, speaking? Do you like to have them at comparable levels? Okay, I find that reading is very powerful, that if I just hear something and I don't see it written down, it's more difficult to remember. So I, even like right now, I'm learning Arabic and Farsi, Persian, right? So it's a, it's, it's a bit of an effort to learn the writing system because it's, it's difficult. 
But because I have the writing system now, now that I've progressed through my simple menu stories and what I'm doing now is I download podcasts in Arabic and Farsi and I've found a person in Iran and another person in Jordan. They transcribe these for me so I can read them. So I have a better chance of acquiring this vocabulary. But my goal in a language is to be able to understand like podcasts. Uh, is to be able to get together with people and talk about a wide range of things. I don't want to just say, see, I think it's a bit of an illusion that you can have this limited, limited, you know, uh, two beers, where's the bathroom, and that that's somehow going to carry you. It, 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 it's, it's hard. I tried. I went to Vietnam, and for a few weeks before going there, I tried to learn some phrases, and I couldn't use them. It's, it's, you actually need quite a, you know, a decent level in order to operate. And even there, you're going to be in many situations where you don't understand. So, uh, so but my goal ultimately is to be able to have comfortable conversations where people are comfortable talking to me and I'm comfortable talking to them. I make mistakes. I'm missing words. I use gestures, all this other stuff, but essentially we're communicating. And yeah. So your goal is to get to a level of communication where you, yeah, you can be a a friend, you know, a friend or or an interesting person for them to talk to. Then for you, we're talking about the podcast. I thought that was interesting. You have them transcribed. Are you listening to a podcast and then reading as you go, or are you Specifically, saying it depends? Uh, for Arabic, you know, again, it's, there's so many things now that are available, right? Even MP MP3 files and stuff that wasn't available 50, 60 years ago. Uh, and so we have text-to-speech. So if I'm doing Arabic where we have text-to-speech on our website, then I can be reading and just, if I'm not sure of the pronunciation, I'll listen to the text-to-speech. But it, when I listen to the actual natural voice is if I'm on my bicycle, if I went down to the gym, if I'm doing the dishes, I'm in the car, that's when I'm listening to it. And when I'm listening, I'm getting 20, 30, 40, 50, 60% of it, depending on you know my level. And then I go back and I read it. And I read it again, and uh, and I look up words as I'm reading, and then I might listen to it again. And earlier on, you have to listen to the same stuff more than once. Later on, you don't have to listen so often because you're better. But uh, so I, I do sometimes, like I sometimes go through these items on our website again, sentence by sentence, and listen to that sentence, then read that sentence. It all depends on your level. But but most like the my main activity is listening. If, if I didn't do all the cleanup at home, if I didn't work out, if I didn't like riding my bike or jogging, I probably wouldn't, listen, wouldn't learn languages. Listening is, is the power app, right? Listening triggers everything. So when you listen, you don't understand. Then you got to go read it so you can understand. Then you go listen again to see if you understand more. So, so listening is, is, is something that's mostly done away from the text. Yeah, and I guess you're right too. That brings us back to this idea of conversation, right? You can listen to people having a conversation, but if you understand twenty percent of it, well, the other eighty percent is gone, right? Yeah. You, you know, they're not writing it down for you as you're saying no, it in handy. Like, exactly. Hey, here's what we talked about. Go study this. You know, you're just sitting there saying, "Well, I'm listening, and I don't understand what's going on," and now that's just off, and and the, those people are gone, and and I, I think you're right that y you need to be. Uh, much more structured with your listening, as you said, listening, but then going back and supplementing with reading right, and, right. And, and figuring it out there. And so then for you, 
I mean, you obviously you're super passionate about this and you've created a whole company around it, Link, right? And and it's not just you saying, I want to learn different languages because I'm passionate about, but I believe, you know, you're saying, I believe that there's a way that people like me who maybe feel like there's resistance. Am I ever actually going to achieve this? I've tried before, but we all know when I say I've tried before, it's been not not really, right? Most people who try to learn a language are like, ah, I did it in high school. It didn't work. Well, yeah, there's a thousand other things we were more interested in at that point. Talked about Link compared to other language learning programs. Like, what do you, what do you see as some of the key differences? Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I'll I'll go back to a statement that you made, and that is everyone learns differently. So it, it may not be for everyone, but the principle of Link is that there is an abundance of interesting language learning content available on the web for any language you want to name: French, Spanish, Chinese, Japanese, you name it. The goal is eventually to be able to access that material and convert it into learning material. You can't do that from day one. So from day one, you have the sort of, I mentioned the mini stories. I like our mini stories. We have 60 mini stories with a lot of repetition. Uh, if you work on the mini stories for three months, say for a European language with the Latin alphabet, or with say six months for like Arabic or Persian, you will have a sense that you've achieved something. I understand stuff. It was noise when I started and now it's meaning, okay? Once you have that sense that you achieved something, that's tremendously motivating because a lot of people don't really believe they're gonna learn the language. Like, it's like if you're climbing a mountain and you don't really believe in your heart of hearts that you're gonna reach the peak. Yeah, how, if, you know, are you gonna continue? Not likely. No. So, so it's very important to give people a sense of, I did something. So I think that's where our mini stories come in. I certainly have done that for a number of languages. But thereafter, it's a long road. Like to get to where you can sit with your relatives now and they're all going to be speaking Spanish and conversations flying in five different directions. And you're sitting there saying, see, see. And, and you want to get to where you can actually say something and, and you don't think you're slowing down the conversation, that people are actually interested in what you have to say and don't make allowances for you, that's a long road. So once you, with Link, you'll get that first stage with our many stories where you, hey, I, you know, I understand now, I didn't understand, now I understand. But then you need to do a lot of work to get to that next stage. But the advantage with Link again is, you don't have to go through boring textbooks. You can go to Netflix, you can go to YouTube, you can go to, you name it, audiobooks. I've imported whole audiobooks and the ebook that matches it. Uh, you can read newspaper articles and all the time you're working on your comprehension. So I think, I think the advantage with Link is it's not like a, a textbook chapter one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's some initial stuff to get you started, to give you a sense of I can do it. And then almost limitless access to all of the language content that's on the web that's going to take you to that position. Not perfect, but comfortable. And, and I, that's my goal always. And so you get to then, as you said, after the mini stories, then you're ch then you're picking stuff that's of interest to you. So for me, it'd yeah. be like sports. Okay, I get to read Absolutely. about sports or listen to sports, as opposed to listening to someone uh, talking about buying a skirt or something like yeah, that. Yeah, okay. at the train station or you know going through customs and all the stuff they put in these books. Right. Yeah. Well, how important then? is vocab like so if i'm doing like because I, I haven't been in the link program right to go through it and so if i'm starting out and i'm like all right i want to do spanish here will there be vocab supplemented in the mini story should i be doing 
other vocab on my own? No need. No need. Because the, the only vocab you need is the vocab that comes at you in the content you're using. So that the goal is to understand the story or an article in the newspaper about soccer or whatever it might be. That's the goal. So the only vocab you need is that vocab. You don't need to go f looking for other vocab. The, the very common vocabulary items, that's why they're high frequency. People to oh, first I'm going to learn the most common 500 words. Don't worry about it. They will come at you. That's why, because they're high frequency. The difficulty is learning the lower frequency verbs as you progress. However, if you stay in the same area like sports, if you're familiar with the subject, you understand soccer, just for the sake of argument, you understand soccer, you understand the terms, the names of the teams, whatever's happening, it's all familiar to you, you're going to understand that stuff better. And a lot of the vocabulary is going to repeat. Now, if you then move into rocket science, you'll have a problem. Okay, but if you stayed in rocket science, then all of that vocabulary would repeat. So the focus is not on trying to learn vocabulary in isolation. The focus has to be finding a subject area that is of interest to you. And if you stay with it, listening and reading, you will eventually acquire that vocabulary. And along the way, you will acquire the most common words. And, and in a way, we start you off with the mini stories with the most common verbs. Want, wish, hope, need, give, take, come, go, think. These are decide even. There's all of these are you need them all the time. Okay, regardless of whether you're in soccer or rocket science. What would you say about conjugation and tenses and things like that? Because again, I'm at the stage where I'm like, am I actually going to learn this? And it's easy to get overwhelmed, right? As you mentioned, because then you're saying, wait, well, I I've kind of got this verb. Or I know what the verb is, the vocabulary for, for want or need, but I don't know how to say in the past tense or the future tense. Would that be something that you would have people worry about in the beginning? Or would you say, stick with comprehending, you know, Present tense usually is, is the most common, and then worry about that later. Okay, first of all, a present tense is not necessarily the most common. That, yeah, and you're right. Be. And as soon as I said, I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh, I'm, I'm wrong. It's not so common. I think that they typically introduce, well, today we're going to do the present tense, and tomorrow we're going to do the past tense, and then we're going to do the subjunctive. Don't think about it in those terms. Just let the language come into you. Um once you have a sense of the language through having listened to it, and by the way, in our mini stories, we'll typically do, uh, you know, the same story in different tenses or the same story in different persons. So you're going to hear it, the same story. So now it's easy. It's familiar. You basically know the vocabulary, but it comes at you in different forms of the verb. All right. So all of this is socking the language into you, developing some familiarity. If at some point you look at a conjugation table, you'll at least have some sense of what they're referring to because you've already had that experience. And so what we do, like at length, for example, if you've come across a verb, you look it up, there is a conjugating dictionary, you can go and have a look. I wouldn't try to remember it. Just have a quick look, okay, and go back to the story. You stay in the story, but gradually you start to notice. But there is, and so initially you will start to notice the different, you know, persons or tenses. You'll get better and better at recognizing it because you'll sense it from the context. Using it is more difficult. Uh, it is more difficult, and it's just going to take time. Uh, but but don't worry about it. Like, and I can tell you that some of the Slavic languages are much more complex than than you know conjugations in Spanish, and and you just naturally get 
you, you get certain phrases. Like, again, we recommend a link to save phrases. You hear the phrases. It starts to come out naturally. If you use yesterday, it's going to come out past tense because you're used to hearing yesterday with a certain form of the verb. Uh, when I was learning German, it was only when I stopped trying to study these declension tables that, and that I focused on, on listening and reading that I began to improve because our brains are not set up to, to memorize that kind of stuff. Our brains are set up to get used to. Uh, that's how the brain works. You, you feed it a bunch of experience and the brain starts to sort things out gradually, like not instant, not overnight, <laughs> slowly, slowly. Yeah. So I wouldn't worry about those things. And occasionally, just for fun, have a look. Have a look at the rules. Have a look at the tables. And, uh, oh, yeah, I've seen that. Okay, now I'll go back to just stay with the content, listening and reading. You bring up an interesting point, uh, obviously the overnight thing, right? And I'm sure you get asked this question all the time of of how long should I expect it to take me to learn a language? And I know there are, are a million variables, like how well do you want to know it? What do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? Have you been able, like, is there an answer to that question for, for you? Is there some like, hey, I think it'd be this amount of hours. So let, let's say, and again, I know it's highly variable, but let's say I'm like, I really want to learn Spanish. I want to get to a point where I'm conversational, maybe not with five people at once, but I can sit here and talk with you. Okay, fine. That's where I want to get to. If I, I feel like it would be a little bit of a carrot at the end of the stick if someone said to me, all right, you should expect around this many hours. So at least I could, you know, when I'm in the doldrums of like, oh, am I going to get this? Is this going to work? I can at least say, all right, if I put the time in, I, you know, I know I'm getting somewhere, even if it might be a bit of a long road. Well, I think in the case of Spanish, where half the vocabulary is recognizable from English, um, you know, three months will give you a breakthrough, a real sense of I can do this. I've achieved something. Uh, and, and the assumption is you're going to listen in 45 minutes to an hour a day. Okay, you got to do that. And typically, if I listen that much, I'm going to spend another half hour reading the text because I'm now curious. I didn't understand it. What the hell were they saying? So, so you know, that triggers that reading. But uh, commit to doing an hour, 45 minutes to an hour a day, which is typically dead time, right? You're cleaning up or you're working out or, or whatever. On that basis, I think three months gets you a breakthrough, a sense of achievement, and one year gets you to where you're speaking with mistakes, but you're basically in the conversation. Yeah. Okay. Which I think is, yeah. And, and, and you know what? Then it doesn't seem so overwhelming, right? You know, I could sit there and be like, can, you, can I imagine by, you know, in six months that I could actually be able to converse with someone in a language? And you mentioned this at the very top, something I didn't want to gloss over. When you learn and anyone I've talked to who's done this, when you learn another language, it I, there's something to be proud about that. If it, you know Whether it be one or whether it be 20, because you have now opened up a part of your brain and challenged yourself in a way that you, that you didn't have before. Right. And, you it, know, and it, it's, it's kind of one of the, it's in my mind, one of the bigger challenges we can accept as, as humans, right? And I'm saying as a 37-year-old who speaks one language, right. but right. knowing that, right? You know, it's a tremendous feeling. It's a feeling of, of, look at me, I'm flying. I mean, look at me. Look at, because you start out and you don't understand. Yeah, yeah, maybe understand the odd word. And, and all of a sudden, three months later, wow, like that was all noise to me. And now I understand exactly what they're saying. I understand it. Uh, but then, then it is a long road from that point on. Because the, the thing about language learning is it's a bit like golf. You're never quite as good as you'd like to be. 
So there's always mistakes. There's always stuff that you don't understand. There's always words you could, you, you know that word, but you couldn't remember it. Uh, so that's always going to be there. But the more you involve yourself with the language, speaking, listening, reading, you're always getting better. You're not getting worse. You're always getting better, which is not something I can say for golf, by the way. <laughs> it's not a direct function of how hard you work at it. But with languages, it is. The more time you put in, like a person I once was at a language conference and there was a lady there who ran the language program at the University of San Diego or something. And she said, there's only three things in language learning that count. Only three things. The attitude of the learner, the time spent with the language, not listening to some teacher explain it in English, but time with the language and your ability to notice. So you start to develop this ability to notice things. And this comes naturally. You don't have to, you have to want to notice. You have to not resist, but you start to get better at noticing what's happening in the language. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. So you got to put in the time, have a positive attitude, and you'll just gradually, gradually get better and continue to get better. Yeah. What is your What are your thoughts on immersion? I mean, my guess is that if you can immerse yourself, yes, certainly it's going to help and be better. But is it something that you would urge people to do if they if they could, or is it like, or is it like nice to have it, but not certainly not necessary? Okay, so there's different situations. Um, I mean, in Canada, I'm sure in the states, there are immigrants who have lived in an English speaking environment for 30 years and can't speak English. Sure. Right. And I lived in Japan for two years and can't speak Japanese. I mean, could I speak some Japanese then? Yes. Could I speak some now? Less than then. Right. But yeah, same thing. So, you know? so there's no guarantees. That's why you have to want to. And you have to put in the time. I lived in Japan, and from day one, I was listening and reading to Japanese. Like, I, I, it's not just I'm surrounded by Japanese. I go to the store and I manage to buy something in Japanese. I, I was deliberately ingesting, consuming Japanese. So you have to make that effort. If you happen to be in the country where the language is spoken, that's a, an advantage. You can turn on the TV. You can, you know, meet people, whatever. Uh, but if you're deliberately going to travel somewhere with the goal of, of improving in that language, my suggestion is prepare yourself. In other words, work on it before you go there. Because if you go there and you can't do very much in the language, you're going to squander that opportunity. You can do so much on your own. For example, I mentioned a year. Like if you work a year on your Spanish, say at Link or some other program, then when you go to a Spanish-speaking country, wherever that might be, you're able to take advantage. You hit the ground running. You, you can pick up a newspaper. You watch the TV. You, you're in conversation with someone. You can take advantage of it. So people think that, oh, if I just go there by magic, somehow I'm going to learn. Not the case. You have to put the effort in. Uh, and then when you go to the country, you have to be like a strong intermediate to take advantage. Uh, unless you move there. But if you're going to be there for a month, uh, prepare yourself ahead of time in order to really take advantage. Yeah, because my guess is, you know, and I've seen this happen to myself, right? You, you, when you're somewhere, you want to you want to enjoy it too, right? And so you're going to revert if you can't speak any of the language or very little, and and it as you mentioned, it's uncomfortable and it's not fun and it's right. really hard. You're just going to revert to what you can do, and that's speaking English or whatever your native language is, and and muddling through in that and having fun because you at least know what you're doing, right? And so I, I, I think that's really important. I think you're right. If, if you can be an intermediate, strong intermediate, then you're going and saying, all right, now I can still have fun, but I can actually take advantage of this opportunity and, and progress pretty quickly because 
I have a concrete base. Right. And, and there's another issue, too, is that unfortunately for English speakers, English is the international language. So it's very likely that wherever you go, they will speak English fairly well. And most people don't really want to be your teacher. Most people want to communicate for whatever. You've come to my store, you want to buy something or whatever it might be. And if I sense that, you know, let's say I'm, I don't know, uh, you know, Mexican, I can sense that your Spanish isn't very strong. I'll revert to English. So you have to be good enough so that people will immediately come back to you in Spanish or French or Chinese or whatever it might be. Right. And you have to be good enough that when they come back to you, you're, you're able to come back to them, right? As <laughs> opposed understand to, what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to, well, there's the end of the conversation. Um, yeah. For, for you then, I, and now you're, you're 20 languages in and you said when we started this podcast, like 11 or 12 are, are, are you know, you're really good. And then, you know, there's varying levels from yeah. there. Right. Well, they're all varying levels, but I can turn them on easily. Gotcha. Whereas the others is more difficult. Yeah. Gotcha. How do you decide what languages you want to learn? And is there like in your head, like a hit list? Are you saying, all right, once I hit this, I'm going to, to the next one? Or is it a bit more fluid? Yeah, it's fluid, you know. Um, it, it, we do. Uh, I have a lumber business. We buy wood in Romania, which we uh, export to the U.S. East Coast, actually. I had to go to Romania to visit some mills. So I spent a couple of months learning Romanian. Uh, with my wife, we decided to visit the island of Crete in Greece. So I learned Greek. Um, I've always been interested in the Middle East, don't know those languages, so I thought, hmm, I'll learn Persian and Arabic. Uh, you know, Korean, because I speak Chinese and Japanese, so I figured Korean would be low-hanging fruit, you know? And, and so there is that, too, you know, you got to understand, with 20 languages, if you know Russian, then Ukrainian, Polish, Czech, you know, those are available to you. If you know Spanish, then you can go to Italian and Portuguese and French. So, and those then become quite a bit easier because there's so much common vocabulary, common grammatical structure and so forth. Have you found certain languages to be more fun to learn for you? Well, not really, no, because they're all different. And it's that sense of discovering a different world. Like right now, Arabic and Persian, I mean, that's quite exotic, really. And all of a sudden, those people come alive and I've got a, you know, a tutor online, this uh, Iranian gal who travels all over India. Very interesting. And, yeah, it's, they're all interesting. They're all interesting. Some are more difficult, obviously. The more similar a language is to a language you already know, the easier it's going to be, obviously. For sure. Have there been any languages that you've started to learn and, and said, I want to get to a certain level, like, let's say, conversational level, and then decided either because just decided you didn't want to and kind of gave up on yeah i mean i would say that uh once i get past the, the first 12 like korean i'm not really happy with my level in korean but all of a sudden i got interested in russian so i just dropped the korean uh similarly my romanian and greek haven't gotten very far either so yeah i mean i'm i can afford to be a dilettante right i do what i want if i get more motivated to learn some other language then i drop that one and very often it's a matter of how much good accessible content there is. Now, uh, for my Slavic languages, there's just an abundance of, uh, I always want audio with text, because then I can import the text into link. And so there were audio books, there was political stuff with transcripts. So that was tremendous. Now for my per Persian and Arabic, I'm having to pay for people to transcribe. And then we try to get permission from the podcasters to put their stuff up in link, because at least if I'm paying for it, I can share it with the other members. 
that most people never answer, you know, <laughs> you know, you ask them for permission. You could, I say, I'll send you the transcript. You might help generate traffic to your website. No answer. So then it's a, it's a bit of a conundrum. Uh, can I share this in the library now, uh, even though I don't have permission from the podcaster? Uh, anything that's like the U.S. government has their propaganda channels, like, uh, you know, Radio Free Europe. Yeah, I just put it up because that's propaganda, right? So they shouldn't be concerned about me uh, using their material for language learning. So in Persian, that was available, is available, and Ukrainian, Russian. So, but but any private, you know, independent podcaster, you kind of have to ask them for permission before you can. I can use it for my own purposes on Link. I can import it for my own use, but I can't share it in the library without permission. And gotcha. I, I hope you answer those emails if you get. Them. I will. From now on, I'll make sure that everyone on our team knows. If we get something about putting it up, we'll answer. Um, Question, question for you about learning multiple languages at the same time. You said you're learning Arabic and Farsi. Do you typically try to learn one language at a time and reach a level and then move on? And if so, you know, is there reasoning behind that? Have you tried to do multiple ones and had it been, you know, difficult? Uh, I think it's better to focus on one. Yeah. But uh, so I, I actually had a third one going, which was Turkish. And uh, so then I go three months on Arabic, three months on Persian, three months on Turkish. By the time I came back to Arabic, I had forgotten so much. So I said, well, I'll try to do the three of them at the same time. Then I decided to skip the Turkish. It was just too much. And even now, like I would, in a way, I'd rather just stay with the one, but I don't want to fall too far behind. So I'm doing it. It's not ideal. The only possible sort of benefit is that, uh, you know, you, 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 there is a tendency, you can be studying something and, and the brain likes novelty. The brain likes repetition, but the brain likes novelty. So by being a day or two on Arabic and a day on day or two on Persian, I'm refreshing stuff for the brain. So it doesn't get bogged down. You know, it's, you feel like you're not getting anywhere and it's always the same and stuff. And, and uh uh, which is an important point. Like it is important when you study languages to vary the kind of content and the kind of activity you're doing. If you try to just nail down this one thing, like declension tables or conjugation tables, the brain is is going to start saying no. Like it's not going to go in. You have to keep, you have to maintain variety. So to some extent, having two languages might introduce more variety, but I think I lose in terms of a lack of focus. And I'm spending less time. I got X amount of time to spend. I got an hour a day. I'm spending half of it on one language and half of it on the other. Right. So you would definitely recommend, especially for people yeah. who are less developed, like start with one, get to a level you're comfortable yeah. with, and then if you want to move on. Get motivated. Get motivated. And you, you, the better you do, the more you learn, the more motivated you become. Yeah. So allow yourself to get sucked into that language, Spanish, whatever it might be. Yeah. Would you then, you know, talking about learning multiple languages for you, is it difficult to then go back? Like, are there certain languages, you know, I said you might have your top 11 that, that you could turn on. Like, do you have to go back and continually re-up your Spanish or is that good enough? You're like, no, I, I don't have to touch that. But there's some languages you might have to go back to or is kind of once it's there, yeah, it's there. But, but I have found that, see, learning languages is, is a bit of, a, of an issue of, there's an issue there of fitness. So if you play three or four different sports, so you are maintaining a certain level of fitness. If you then go back to tennis, which you haven't played in a while, you'll be rusty at first, but you very quickly get back to where you were. And I have even found that 
when I go back to a language that I've left, I'm better than I ever was very quickly. So, so I, I see, no, that is as long as you're learning it naturally through massive input. If you're trying to ace a bunch of grammar rules and ace sort of a vocabulary list and kind of put the two together in sort of an artificial learning process, that you will lose. Because those things I find are very much in your sort of short-term memory. But if you're organically just letting the language come in, it stays with you. It might be a little rusty, but it'll come back. So there's no danger. There's no danger of losing it. I That was a great analogy you made with the fitness and multiple sports, right? Like they're, it's only, even though it's a different sport, it's only going, you know, you're not, you're not sitting and, and doing one skill like, all right, yeah, I'm going to serve over and over and over and over again. But hey, by the time I, if I've done it before and you know, a couple of years ago and I'm staying fit by playing basketball, I could come back and yeah, let me practice this a tiny bit right. and I'll be back to that level, um, exactly. which is, I've never thought of it that way. I've kind of always thought, Hey, you have X amount of room up here in your, I'm pointing my brain for people who obviously can't see this. Um, and, and you know, oh my gosh, this is taking over part of it. And so you're going to lose this, but, but yeah, that's not the case. It's not the case with physical activity, uh, you know, as we all know. So, okay. Great, great analogy. I want to talk a little bit about your travel life because you've done a, a quite a bit of, a, on top of learning languages, uh, one of the reasons you did that was because of your love of travel and, and obviously love of culture and wanting to dive deeper into a place, which, which language allows you to do. What does your travel life look like nowadays you know are you traveling quite a bit and is there some sort of structure to that or you say you're a, you're a debutante you can go and do whatever you please right. um yeah what does it look like for you well it, again it's much like my language learning is whatever i feel like doing so you know typically i travel i traveled quite a bit on business right i traveled by myself but now i travel with my wife and so we say oh like, I, well, first of all, I learned Ukrainian, so I want to go to Ukraine. So I visited Ukraine twice, okay, which is not a place most people go to, but is a fabulous country to visit. But we went to Crete, and then we said, well, we're going all that way. We'll go to Israel, so we visited Israel. Then we walked across the border into Jordan, went to Petra, and I said, you know, and I had dabbled in learning Hebrew, and then I said to myself, like, there's like 10 million people who speak Hebrew. There's 300 million who speak Arabic, so that's kind of triggered my interest in Arabic. Uh, partly as a result of that, uh, then my wife and I visited Morocco, which is a great country to visit, by the way. And then, um, you know, we decided we, we went to Myanmar. Like, it's, it's all over the place. Vietnam, Myanmar, Machu Picchu, you know, Rio, whatever. Uh, yeah. You're at a point in your life where you're just saying, wherever, I'm go wherever I want to go, I'm just going to go. It just doesn't have to go. be on the way to something else or make no. it. Oh, okay. absolutely. Yeah. And I like to go to places where I speak the language. Yeah. Which I guess, I mean, nowadays, a decent amount, right? I mean, there's well, right. large now, swaths that, of the world. I, I, would, I, I enjoyed Vietnam. I enjoyed Myanmar. but didn't speak those languages. So it's not a condition, but uh, it's, it's more comfortable if you speak the language. Yeah. Do you have certain places that you haven't been that, that for you are like kind of top of the list now? You know, like a lot of people say they have this sort of bucket list. I don't have that. It's more like, you know, one day I'll get up and I'll speak to my wife and I'll say, hey, where should we go? Eh, something comes up, you know. Um, I haven't been to Africa other than Morocco. Egypt is a possibility. You know, if I had my Arab, it gets better. I would like to go to Iran now that I'm learning Persian. Uh, not an ideal time to do that right now. Um, 
you know, I don't know. I, I enjoyed Ukraine. I'd like to go back there. Uh, Poland, I've never been to. Um, but yeah, like Africa, East Africa, maybe. I, I don't know. Take it as it comes. You know, no, no, no one's holding your feet to the fire, right? Um, right? When you were working as a diplomat with the Canadian government, you right. were you were typically stationed somewhere for a couple years. Is that how it works? Same as right. like a U.S. diplomat. Okay. Yeah, as a, I only stayed with the government for seven years. So I was in Hong Kong, uh, first year uh, full-time language student learning Mandarin. And then I worked uh, sort of as a trade commissioner going in and out of China, helping Canadian business people to do business in China. Then I was transferred to Japan, so I spent four years there. Then, and as a trade commissioner, I got to know the forest industry because that was my area of responsibility. As a result of that, a major Canadian lumber exporting company uh, asked me to set up the, a subsidiary for them in Tokyo. So then I left the government okay. in 1974. And then you were in Japan for a while longer then? Japan for another five years. Uh, and then subsequently working for this company and also I set up my own company in 1987, again with the Japanese market in mind. So I, I had a lot of involvement with Japan, but, but not only because we used to source wood in Europe. So lots of travel to Sweden to, uh, you know, Central Europe as well. Okay. Are there any places that you've been that you would want to live and, and maybe not full time, but, but spend like a larger chunk of time being there versus maybe just traveling through? Of course, you know, you have one impression when you're traveling through. And, and I think if you live there, you may get a different impression. But I think that I could live in France, in southern France. Uh, I could live in Spain. Uh, my wife and I were recently in Catalonia, you know, uh, near Barcelona, like in Tarragona and places like that. But, you know, it's, it's in the end, I guess at my age, it's so much more comfortable to live at home. Uh, I'm familiar, you know. Vancouver, I like living in Vancouver as a place to live. Uh, the, yeah, the winter's a bit wet, so I come down to Palm Springs where the sun shines. <laughs> it's comfortable. But no, I could live, uh, I, I think I would probably go for Europe. Like I wouldn't want to be in, like Australia and New Zealand is very comfortable, nice weather and all that, but it's just too isolated. And, uh, you know, where the conditions, you know, the traffic is terrible or there's pollution. Like I don't want to live in those kinds of places. So... So I think Southern France. I like France. I studied there for three years. I like France. And you mentioned your wife and, and going on these travels with her. What is her take on your language learning? And or is she also someone who's interested in this? Like, will she also learn some of the languages alongside of you? Okay. So my wife, her father was Chinese and her mother Costa Rican. Okay. That's, that's and, an interesting mix. Okay. Yeah. And so when I met her, but she went to English language school in Hong Kong which is where I met her, and her English was so good. Like, we always spoke English. Uh, but when I was studying Mandarin, and uh, the Mandarin teachers sometimes would have, uh, you know, lunches or dinners or events, right? And so she just picked it up. She picked up Mandarin, which is, you may not realize, it is quite different than Cantonese. And she's just very good, at, but she's not, she, she's not, she doesn't go around with earphones, you know, with AirPods in her ears, okay? Uh, so we had customers from France that would visit and... Like we turned around British Columbia and uh, I was sitting in front with the uh, president of the company and she was sitting in the back seat with uh, his wife who didn't speak. She didn't speak English. Day one, they didn't say anything. By day three or four, she was speaking French. <laughs> she probably didn't. And she admits she didn't really understand what the lady was saying, but they had 
quite a lively conversation. It's like she has a whole different approach. She doesn't have to understand. She just says something and it's it smiles and chuckles and <laughs> it all works. She's not going to study. No, she studies. She gets on YouTube and downloads music videos and how to make her sourdough bread and, and <laughs> all this other stuff, you know, yoga videos that we do together. But she's not going to work on the languages like I do. Sounds like a fascinating travel companion, like the type of person you want with you. Absolutely. Nothing phases her. Like, except we were in Buenos Aires staying in an Airbnb and she woke up at three in the morning and there was a cockroach in her head, in her hair. And then she said, Steve, you're staying up to fend off the cockroaches. So I'm sitting there with my iPad. There's another cockroach crawling up my arm. There are like five dead cockroaches on the floor by the morning. She wasn't happy. We were out of that place. Yeah. But you, you, probably, you probably got some good language learning in, right? Yeah. You, there's your dead time, right? Grab your That's iPad it. and start learning. So you've done a ton of travel in your life. Do you have a, a, a story or a memory that sticks out as one of your biggest travel mishaps? Uh, you know, the mishaps really revolve around two things. One is uh, travel, like, you know, at the airport all day long to try to get out of the airport, which happened twice to us in South America, uh, or e eating something that was bad for the stomach, which happened to be in Mexico and in, and in Tokyo and in France uh, and in India. Well, <laughs> well of, of course, of course. Big time. Uh, yeah, I did nothing really. I remember once we went skiing when we were living in Japan, we went skiing in Hokkaido. And we were in this very remote place, like the snow banks were like 10 feet high, you know. And so we had to take a bus out of there to this train station. And then the train was going to take us to Sapporo, where we get on a plane fly to fly back to Tokyo. And the bus was late. There's so much snow. And we get there as the train is getting ready to leave. And so I was with this other family. So they had three kids. We had two kids, little guys, you know, five years old, whatever. So I had my big duffel bag in those days. I just threw the duffel bags on the train tracks. So that everyone could get on the damn train. The train couldn't move. The Japanese were shouting at me. And, blah, blah, blah. and then I, when everyone was aboard, I grabbed my duffel bags, threw them on the train, apologized profusely, and off we went. <laughs> That's great. It's like holding the elevator open, except that you're sounds... stopping the train with your duffel bag. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And, and of course, in Japan, you know, having lived there and you've spent a ton of time there too, you know, everyone was upset, but you, you, yeah, can, you can just get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we miss our plane, but yeah. What do you have coming up in the pipeline then? Whether it be like you want to let people in a little secret of what maybe is the next language you're going to go after or, you know, something with Link, I, you know, personally, professionally, travel wise, what's coming up for you? Okay, a secret that my son Mark, who is the CEO of Link, probably doesn't want me to let out, but we're working on a major improvement to make it easier to find contact, content, to make it a little more similar to, uh, to Netflix in a way, the way you browse through trying to find stuff of interest, uh, whether it be, a, in fact, a Netflix series or some other content. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. And also the, the, the whole lesson page. There's a major sort of rewrite taking place. And of course, you know, you can set a deadline and then the deadline <laughs> fades. So I don't want to say when that's going to be because it always ends up being more complex than you think. Sure. But I'm pretty excited about that because, uh, yeah, that's one thing I'm, I'm looking forward to. Language wise, you know, I don't know any languages of India. So maybe, but, you know, this Arabic and Persian and Turkish is going to keep me busy for quite a while. 
quite a while. So you have to be realistic. You know, we're talking a couple of years there. Yeah. And, and what's cool about that is it open up another large swath of the world. Like I'm just in my head trying to picture your map of like languages that you speak. And I mean, you know, you've got a large portion of it covered at this point. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is pretty yeah. impressive. So um, that's awesome, Steve. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, well, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. It's just cool. Shining a light on on what can be for a lot of people, myself included, a, a daunting task, right? Of, <laughs> of and, and it, Yeah. And, and this idea of like, am I going to do it? And just, you, you know, you keep bringing this point up of just, it should be fun and, and you should be doing it for a purpose, right? Yeah. Like, and, and do it one slice at a time. Yeah. Yep. One slice at a time. Don't try and, you know, instant fluency. It ain't going to happen. Right. Like I shouldn't be sitting there saying, hey, by the time I go to my sister's wedding in three months in Panama, I should be able to like run the ceremony. Like, no, that's not no, happening. No, no, right. No, 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 no. Um, but I, I just really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, anyone who's looking um, to learn a language, definitely check out check out Link. And then remind people one more time how they can come get a hold of you, see everything you're doing, find Link. What's the best place? Well, for well Link, of course, is lingq.com. I don't know whether we have a, a, a discount thing arranged with you, but we'd be happy to do that for your, for your listeners. Uh, and in order to understand how we learn at Link, some, some people find that uh, my blog, the linguist uh, on language.com, I think it is. Uh, but, but the bigger thing is the YouTube channel, Lingo Steve YouTube channel. I put out two videos a week and I talk about language learning. And encourage people and explain how to learn. And uh, many people find it uh, inspiring, encouraging, and uh, yeah, teaches them that there's another way to learn other than the way they were taught at school. Definitely. And I think that's the biggest hurdle, right? Is trying to break that modality of like, oh my gosh, Absolutely. let me go back and like learn vocab and write it next to each. You know, it's it's tough because if you've learned something one way, even if you didn't successfully learn it like myself, you're you think that's the way to do it. And exactly. uh, there's exactly. a lot of other ways there. So thank you, Steve. Yeah, we'll link everything in the show notes. Uh, we'll, we'll also put the discount on the show notes page too, so we'll talk Super. about that. Um, okay. And you guys, yeah, you can go to link, L-I-N-G-Q.com. Lingo Steve, easy to remember. That's how I, that's actually yeah. where I first went. I went, all right, Lingo Steve, this is you. Let me go to YouTube. Stuff is linked up from there. It's the internet. It's right. easy to find all your stuff. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Lingo Steve on YouTube, which is a great name too. So thank okay. you, Steve. I really appreciate it. Um, a pleasure to chat with you. And honestly, like just a huge congrats on on the ability to speak 20. And, and you know, it's you. it obviously didn't come overnight and it didn't come like you're not some natural savant. Like it was a lot of hard work and time. It's and I think, hard. yeah. But, but if you're positive and certainly tra Travis, uh, I get the impression you're a very positive person. I am. <laughs> yeah. Positive people can learn. Yeah, so thank you for that, Steve. Uh, okay. Appreciate you coming on. Enjoy Palm Springs and the sunshine. Thank you. Uh, thank, you. thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for the continued support that makes this number one radio travel podcast. And until next time, everyone, happy free travels. I'll show you
The country with the longest coastline in the world is... Drumroll, please. Canada. 